Happy Nurses Week to all the nurses and future nurses listening. To celebrate, I'm having a 20% off sale on Study Sesh. This is my private podcast that features over 140 episodes to help you study on the go. Formats include pod quizzes, power hour deep dives, drills, and case studies. If you're tired of sitting at your desk or staring at a screen, but still want to review for nursing school, it's time to check out Study Sesh. Go to straightanursingstudent.com and click on Courses in that top menu bar. That's straightanursingstudent.com and click on Courses in the menu bar. See you there. Hey there, everybody. It is Nurse Mo, and welcome back to the Straight A Nursing Podcast. This is episode 88, and today we are talking about taking vital signs like a complete professional and completely rocking your skills checkoff and your first semester clinicals when you're brand new and probably really nervous about everything. So before we hop into that, let's take a quick moment for a listener shout out. And this one goes to Lynn. So Lynn writes and says, hi there. I am so glad I found your info and tools. I am 56 years old and ready to embark on a new adventure in an ASN program. I don't feel as alone as I did before I found your website and bought your book. Thanks for being here for us. I know I will use your resources a lot. Thank you so much, Lynn. I really appreciate the nice message that you sent. It really does fill me with a lot of joy to know that all the work that I do actually does reach people like you and help you make the most of your nursing school journey. So if you guys want to be on the listener shout out, you can just leave a review wherever you listen to this podcast or shoot me an email or send it on Facebook or Instagram or however you like to communicate. I love hearing from you guys and I love sharing your messages out for everybody else. So again, today we're talking about taking vital signs. So when I was a brand new nursing student, I was as brand new as you could possibly get because I had never worked with patients. I know a lot of you have worked as techs or some kind of nursing assistant and have some really great solid background knowledge, but a lot of students don't. They come into this knowing nothing. So those first few days in clinical can be really scary. I remember I was taking a patient's vital signs or about to take a patient's vital signs. And it was like 630 in the morning. It was super early. And I did not know how to work the machine. I It was different from the ones we had at school. And I could not figure it out. And somebody came in early. I think it was a surgical resident or a medical student. So I asked them if they knew how it worked and they didn't know how it worked. And I just felt like I was lost because I didn't even know the basics of how to get this patient's uh, blood pressure and all of that. So anyway, I just felt really 
alone in that moment. And I was also really nervous about my skills checkoffs in this area. So we're going to talk through some tips for taking vital signs so that when you go to your skills checkoff, where you go to clinical those first few times, you feel more confident and you don't feel like you're alone in this because I'm here with you. Okay, so let's get going. So the first one that you'll likely learn is simply taking a temperature. So this one's actually pretty simple. You've probably done it on yourself a lot of times, on your kids if you've got kids. So one thing to know about taking an accurate temperature is that there are several different places to obtain a reading. You can take it orally, you can take it axillary, you can have a tympanic or ear temperature, temporal and rectal. I would say the most common are the temporal and oral and axillary. So for an oral temperature, you want to make sure that the sensor goes all the way underneath the tongue. And I'm really good at misjudging this and poking people too hard. So if the patient's able to help, I have them place the thermometer in their mouth themselves so that I don't jab them too much on that tender spot under the tongue. You also want to be mindful that they haven't had anything hot or cold to drink for the few minutes prior to taking an oral temperature. Another very important thing to be aware of is that if you're getting an axillary, a tympanic, or a rectal temperature, note that the reading is going to be different than what it would be if you had attained it via that oral route. So the rectal and tympanic readings are about 0.5 to 1.0 degrees Fahrenheit higher than what you would read on an oral temp. And that axillary and temporal readings as well are typically 0.5 to 1.0 degrees Fahrenheit lower than what you would get from an oral reading. So if you're taking a rectal temp, big tip here, guys, make sure you're either using a rectal thermometer or you keep a very, very good grip on it. Otherwise, you just bought your ticket to the emergency room or the operating room for your patient to have that removed. Okay, so now let's move on to pulse, taking an accurate pulse measurement. So here's a little tip for when you're in your skills lab and your skills check off. It is a lot easier to get a pulse reading and feel the pulse on a patient or an individual who is well hydrated. So let's say you're doing your skills checkoff with a classmate. You guys should agree to hydrate well before class so that you can have that strong, good pulse. That's a lot easier to palpate than for someone who's, say, not well hydrated or who has a low blood pressure. So the tricky thing about getting a pulse reading is that you'll have to learn how to locate them in various parts of the body. So here are a few tricks I have found that work pretty well. 
So the first tip for getting an accurate and good pulse reading is don't press too hard. When you're nervous and you're in skills lab or checkoff or with a patient, you might be nervous and you might clamp down on that artery a little too hard. Doing that can actually occlude the pulse and you're not going to be able to palpate anything. So place just enough pressure to feel the pulse and then back off just a little bit. That should be perfect for feeling those pulsations as you count them. For a brachial pulse, now this one was really hard for us to learn, but we figured out finally that to take a good brachial pulse and find that point, be sure to straighten the arm all the way, almost um, hyperextend the elbow if you can. And what that does is it pushes that artery up towards the surface just a little bit. So as you're palpating for this one, start at the inner aspect of the elbow and move outward about one inch. Start your search there and move around in tiny increments until you catch it. And I want you to practice brachial pulses on a lot of different people of a lot of different body sizes because it is a tricky one to find. And the more you practice, the better you'll get at finding it on people when you need to, like say, when your patient is in the ER with a low blood pressure and you can't get a radial pulse, but maybe you could get a brachial pulse. Okay, carotid pulses are really handy because that's typically the one that you'll assess when you are suspecting your patient is pulseless or when there's a code situation happening when you do a pulse check. It's typically at the carotids, though sometimes at the femoral artery as well. However, people with bigger necks or people with central lines in place may make it a little bit tricky to find this pulse. So I like to practice on necks of all shapes and sizes. Um, your landmark, of course, is the trachea. So you can usually find the trachea pretty easily. You want to find the trachea, then go just to the side of it, and you should be able to feel a nice solid pulse. This is the one that you probably check all the time if you're um, into exercising and checking your heart rate zone. So practice on yourself and then find a friend or family member who will let you practice on them. And again, different sizes, shapes, ages, all of that is going to help you the most when you're in your skills checkoff and when you're working with real patients in clinical. Now, the femoral pulse is another very handy one to palpate during a code, like I mentioned. To get a femoral pulse, to feel it, you really got to get in there. So you can't be shy. I mean, it's all up in the patient's groin, basically. So you don't typically do this unless you absolutely have to. So you always, of course, want to respect your patient's privacy and modesty. And if they're awake, be sure to explain what you're doing and why. Even if they're not awake, I still explain to people what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. So the femoral pulse, again, often used in a code situation. Popliteal pulses can be very tricky. And for this one, I find using a Doppler to be kind of my go-to method because it can be really hard to feel a good popliteal pulse. But if you do need to palpate it for your skills check off, you want to bend the knee a 
bit and get the fingertips into that popliteal fossa. And the pulses will likely be pretty faint and difficult to palpate just because they're covered with a fair amount of tissue there. Um, press a little bit harder, but don't occlude it and don't stress if you can't find it. As long as those distal pulses are present in the dorsalis pedis and the posterior tibial, then you know you've got a popliteal pulse, but you may have to do this for your skills checkoff or assess it in a patient who maybe has had amputations below the knee. And then we have our posterior tibial pulses are going to be right in that hollow behind the medial malleolus, typically very easy to find once you know where to look. And then the dorsalis pedis, these are just lateral of the extensor tendon of the great toe. And you can usually see this pretty well if you have the patient flex their toe back. Now, to feel the pulse well, you want the patient's foot relaxed. These dorsalis pedis pulses took me and my classmates a fair amount of practice. So my advice is to first find that that tendon that we just talked about, that extensor tendon, and place your fingers laterally about half an inch or so, about midway up the foot. And if you can't feel it, just feel around gently. It can be very easy to obliterate this one, so have a light touch. And be systematic as you're moving around. Don't just move around randomly because you could miss it. First, I would go um, you know, up, or down the foot. And then from there, I would go, you know, side to side at various spots along the the length of the foot until you find it. And then if the patient's dorsalis pedis is in a little bit of a different spot than you anticipate, and people's feet are all different. So you will always find it in the exact same spot. It just depends on in where that person it comes up closer to the surface of the skin. So if it's in a difficult to find spot or it's very faint and hard to find, I always recommend marking it with a Sharpie if you can. So that'll save you a lot of time in the future, especially if you're having to use a Doppler to get pulses on someone's dorsalis pedis and posterior tibial or wherever, but those are the common places that we use a Doppler on people. And then I always mark a Doppler with a Sharpie. It just saves so much time when you're going back in there to reassess, to just know exactly where you were able to auscultate that sound when you were using the Doppler prior. Okay, so let's move on to respirations. We need to count our respirations. So the trick with doing this, and there is a trick to doing it, is to do it without the patient knowing that you're doing it. Because if you tell the patient, I'm going to count your breaths now, they may breathe differently. They may slow down and take deeper breaths. Who knows what they'll do, but they may alter their breathing pattern. So you don't want them to do that. You just want a nice baseline reading. So the trick I use is right after I finish counting their pulse, I continue holding their wrist or wherever I'm counting, but usually it's the wrist. And I keep my fingers there on the radial artery and pretend I'm still doing that, but I'm actually counting their respirations and they have no idea I'm doing it and they're breathing however they're going to be breathing. So if their rhythm is very regular, you can probably get away with counting for 15 seconds and multiplying by four, though you would get a more accurate number 
number if you count for 30 seconds and multiply by two. If the rhythm with their breathing is very irregular, go ahead and count for the full 60 seconds. Of course, if your clinical professor, your skills lab instructor has different guidelines for this, of course, follow their instructions. Okay, let's move on to blood pressure. To take an accurate blood pressure using your cuff and your stethoscope, you're going to have to have really good ears. And in your skills checkoff, you will be using this method to get a blood pressure. You're not going to be using the automatic machine to just get it for you. You need to be able to auscultate the blood pressure. So getting a blood pressure is all about hearing those carot cough sounds. And to be able to hear those, because they're very subtle, they're very faint, you need to be able to tune out all other sounds, all other distractions. So my best tip for learning how to take blood pressures with confidence, again, practice on a lot of different people, of different shapes, different sizes, different blood pressure ranges, different ages, all of that. People with big arms, people with little tiny arms, just get in there and practice them. And eventually you'll get a lot more confident and a lot more comfortable doing it. So when I was in nursing school, I would take my BP cuff over to friends' houses and if we were having like a dinner party or something and make everybody get a reading before dinner. So it was a great way to practice and they got a mini little blood pressure checkup in the process. So yes, I am great fun at parties. <laughs> so when you're doing your skills checkoffs, I know it can be really nerve wracking and there's a lot of anxiety associated with it. It is a high stakes assessment environment and I get it. It makes sense that you have some stress and are nervous about it. So some tips in general for your skills checkoff. And I just did an episode about surviving skills checkoff. So I'm not going to go into a ton of stuff here, but go back and listen to that. It was a few episodes back, but I do want you to practice on a lot of different types of individuals. Practice on yourself when you can to start gaining that confidence. You know, the pulses and the temperature are a great way to start practicing things on yourself. Hydrate before your checkoff and have your partner hydrate as well. That'll make your blood pressure reading a little better. That'll make your pulses easier to find. And when you are practicing, go ahead and role play the whole scenario out with your friends or with your skills lab partner. You know, you just go through the motions, you fake it until you make it and you're going to make it in your skills checkoff because you're going to pass with flying colors. And of course, I want you to always have fun and enjoy the journey. So the episode about surviving skills checkoff was episode 86. And then if you're looking for even more help with these assessment type skills, episode 82 was all about doing a thorough head to toe assessment. So you can go check those out if you haven't listened to them already. So if you're listening to this podcast on the day that it drops or close to it, that means we are here in the U.S. celebrating Valentine's Day. So I just wanted to say that I love you guys and to show how much I love you, I am offering you the Electrolytes Bundle for 30% off for 
February 13th, February 14th, and February 15th of 2020. So you can go to my website, click on the link for the study guides, and it should be pretty easy to find from there. And use the discount code LOVENURSING2020. L O V E. N-U-R-S-I-N-G 2020 and that will get you 30% off the electrolytes bundle which tells you so much more than just the lab values that you need to know for the electrolytes. It's also why they would be high, why they would be low, what signs and symptoms the patient would have if they're too high or too low, and most importantly, what you, the amazing nurse that you are, are going to do about it. So go to the website, straightanursingstudent.com, click on the link for study guides, electrolytes bundle should be pretty easy to find from there. I'm not giving you the exact URL because the website is changing between the time I'm recording this and the time that it will go live. So I want you to still be able to find it. I promise it will be easy and use the discount code LOVENURSING2020 and you'll get 30% off that bundle. So I hope you guys have a great week. I will see you back here next week. Same time, same place. Bye for now. This podcast is brought to you by Straight A Nursing. 